everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Thursday night Parashat HaShavua's class. Tonight we are studying Parashat Bo. The words of Torah we're going to say this evening are sponsored and dedicated by Mr. and Mrs. Sam and Elvi Cohen and family in memory of his father Isaac Cohen, Zichronoli Bracha, as well as my dear parents Mark and Judy Kadosh, in memory of my grandfather the words of Torah and inspiration we're going to say tonight and bring lots of zechuyot and protection for Klal Yisrael. Amen. Parashat Bo, without a doubt, is one of the most famous parashiot in the entire Torah. It is the episode that deals with Yetziat Mitzrayim. The last three of the ten makot, probably culminating with the most famous one of Makat Bechorot. And of course, the whole story of Pesach, Yetziat Mitzrayim, our entire religion is founded upon this idea of the Yetziat Mitzrayim. Our Emunah is embedded from this episode where we were in the 49th level of Tumana. Kadosh Baruch Hu took us out and that is why we recollect this once a year in detail, and for every mitzvah, Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim. So, no question, it's a special parasha. However, I want to speak about an idea found in the parasha that often gets overlooked. It is fitting that we examine tonight a command that is issued by Hakadosh Baruch Hu to Moshe Rabenu, something that we read it, okay, nice but we don't focus on it a lot. And the command comes in the 11th chapter, Perak Yud Aleph, Pasuk Bet, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Moshe Rabbeinu as follows, Daber na am. Speak in the ears of the people, Ve'ishalu ish me'et re'ehu, Ve'isha me'et re'uta, Ke'lechesef u'chlezahav. Let each man request of his fellow, and each woman from her fellow, silver vessels and gold vessels where the men and women of Bnei Israel were to go to their Egyptian fellows and uh, request gold and silver to take on their departure with them as they departed the land. And these items, gold, silver, smalot, as well as clothing, was never to be returned. In truth, this divine directive was already mentioned by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Moshe Rabbeinu, by the burning bush in Parashat Shemot. There it says, mm-hmm. I shall grant favor, I grant these people favor in the eyes of Mitzrayim, and when you go, you're not going to leave empty. Each woman shall request from her neighbor and the one who lives near her house, silver vessels, golden vessels. So we see that this has already been commanded. The Radak, one of the great commentators, he says that the word Vesha'ala, Isha Mishachenta, implies borrowing. We say, Lish'ol means to borrow, Lehash'il means to lend. And therefore, they requested the vessels with the intent of returning the vessels, says the Radak. And on this, many of the Chachamim are perplexed by this command of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu rep- represents ultimate truth, Emet. His seal is true. So how could he direct Am Israel 
that each man each man requests of his fellow, each woman from her fellow, when they had no intention of returning the silver and gold vessels. After all, the Torah tells us, that you shall not see Egypt ever again once you, once you leave the country. On this, there are a lot of answers. For one, the Ibn Ezra, the Abraham Ibn Ezra writes that, and he admits that there are, there are people that contend and, and complain that our forefathers were thieves, that they called them Ganavim. But he says that these people will ultimately realize that a great mitzvah was performed at that moment. It's unnecessary to ask why. why and he explains, seeing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created everything. He grants wealth to whom he desires to be wealthy. And then he takes from him, and then he gives to other people. This is not wrong. Everything belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So it appears to, because of this uh, difficulty in the scripture, many of the Rishonim chose to interpret the verb Veishalu and Veshaala not as borrowing items, but requesting items. Rabbeinu Bechaye in his commentary writes, this is not a borrowing as applies to vessels, which implies borrowing in order to return. But rather he says that HaKadosh Baruch commanded that they request from them as gifts. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu will grant them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians so that they would give them the gifts. Matanot, here for you to leave. A similar interpretation is actually found in the Rashbam. He writes that the word Veishalu also means a gift or request. She'al mimeni ve'etena, David HaMelech writes, She'al mimeni ve'etena goim nachalatecha, request of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. And he interprets that pasuk, based, based from that pasuk, that in, 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 in essence it's a gift that the Egyptians are giving, the Jews requested a gift and the Egyptians gave a gift. The rabbis want to say, as follows, the problem is that there's another pasuk that doesn't fit well with this. The pasuk writes, When the Torah describes the Egyptians giving the items to the Jews, the verb that's used is Vayashilum. So even if you interpret the first word Vayishalu as a form of request and not borrowing, the word Vayashilum cannot be interpreted that way. It suggests that the Egyptians lent them the items as requested. So the Rashbam, who sees this difficulty, realizes, okay, maybe they were the ones requesting, and the Egyptians were the ones granting the requests. So you have to change the verb as well. This is all nice. Okay, so we call it the a little bit of a dochak answer. We call it in the, in the, the Lashon of the Shiva terms, the dochak answer. Basically, we're saying we're changing the meaning of Vaishalu from which normally means borrowing to requesting Vayashilum, which normally means they lent them to now. No, they granted them the gifts. Why didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu use a simple term? Why couldn't he just say Vayvakshu? Vayvakesh? Levakesh means to request. If indeed that's what the Jews wanted, they wanted to request gifts, so use that term. The meaning would have been very clear. The term would not have been ambiguous. They were not borrowing the items, they were requesting the items. And then no one would have these doubts. 
no one would accuse our forefathers of being thieves. It would be a lot simpler to do something like that. In addition, we need to address another terminology that seems to be problematic. The Pasuk says, Veishalu ish Let each man borrow from his fellow, each woman from her fellow. The Egyptians are fellows? The Egyptians are friends? Since when are the Egyptians friends? These are people that made us suffer for over two centuries of some of the worst slavery imaginable. How is the Torah referring them to Re'ehu? We say, Love your friend like yourself. It's the same word. It's the same noun. So what is the meaning of fellows here? Why are we referencing the Egyptians as fellows? It's odd that we would refer to non-Jewish Egyptians as fellows. In fact, Whenever we see the term, the other mitzvot in the Torah that use re'echa, kitavo bekerem re'echa, when you go to the vineyard of your, of your fellow, the Gemara very clearly says, it's your fellow the Jew, velo kerem goy. It's not the vineyard of a non-Jew. So what's happening here? Why, re- why refer the Egyptians as fellows? There's an absolutely amazing chidush, an explanation brought by Rabenu Bechayeh, he writes that prior to the giving of the Torah, all human beings were friends. They were one people. After Matan Torah, after the Jews received the Torah, after Akadosh Baruch Hu offered the Torah to every nation, and they all refused it except for Israel, and we're going to get back to this, the other nations were now excluded from the category of brothers and friends. No longer are they considered acquaintances and fellows of the Jewish people. Now, the term Re'echa only applies to Israel. Jew among Jew, friends, brothers. Like the David Amelech writes in Tehilim, Leman achai vere'ai. For the sake of my brothers and my fellows, in reference to Am Israel after they received the Torah. It should be very clear to every intelligent person that that this still requires a little bit of clarification why did god still choose to refer to the egyptians as fellows which suggests some sort of kinship or friendship among human beings prior to matan torah in addition we have to try to reconcile the very peculiar language employed in the pasuk Usually, Akadosh Baruch Hu instructs Moshe, Daber el Bene Israel. Right? Vayomer Hashem el Moshe lemor, Daber el Bene Israel. Speak to the Jewish people. Here, God doesn't say that. In the instruction to have the Jews request items from their fellows and women from their fellows, it says, Daber na beozne ha'am. Please speak in the ears of the people. This implies that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to reveal some sort of secret from above that was meant only for their ears. So what indeed was this secret inherent in God's command of let each man request from his fellow and let each woman request for her from her fellow? And again, why call them fellows? To begin, we have to note that HaKadosh Baruch Hu juxtaposed the directive to request gold and silver from the Egyptians to the prophecy delivered to Moshe Rabbeinu concerning Makat Bechorot, the death of the firstborn. While Moshe Rabbeinu was still in the presence of Paro, 
the Torah tells us in this week's parasha that God said to Moshe, Od nega echad avi al paro. I'm going to bring one more plague on paro. And then I'm going to send them out. Speak into the, please speak into the ears of the Jewish people. And they shall request from their fellows, and each woman shall request from her fellow, and then it goes on to say, you should know, Moshe tells Paro, oh, he's coming in the middle of the night and he's going to kill all the firstborns. Rashi comments that this nevuah, this prophecy was said to him while he was actually standing in front of Paro. Because when Moshe Rabbeinu departed Paro, after the, se- the second last plague, after the plague of Choshech, he never saw his face again. After Makat Choshech, the Torah tells us that Paro informed Moshe, Lech me'alai. Get away from me. I don't want to see you again. Paro tells Moshe Rabbeinu, the next day, the next time that I see you, you're, I'm going to kill you. You're dead. You're finished. Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know, Paro, you're saying, you're saying great. You're never going to see me again. Which means that the directive, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is directing Moshe Rabbeinu to warn Paro of Makat Pechorot, before he left at that time. And at that same moment, at that same moment, he is also directing Moshe to tell Am Yisrael to borrow, or to borrow, to request these items. So let's just recap where we are right now. These very important Pesukim. Moshe Rabbe, while Moshe Rabbeinu is still standing in front of Paro, God informs Moshe that, Od nega al paro. I'm going to bring one more plague. That's referring to Makat Pechorot. Then God gives him the directive, that each man should request from his fellow and each woman request from her fellow gold and silver vessels. Then, then Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, before leaving Paro, warns him of the impending plague of Ani that God is going to come and strike the firstborns in the middle of the night. So we have to explain, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu juxtapose, combine the command of please speak to the ears of the Jewish people to request the gold and silver vessels from their fellow to the impending Makat Pechorot. What's the connection? Why didn't God wait for Moshe Rabbeinu to leave Paro's palace and issue the directive without any connection to Makat Pechorot? So we have a lot of questions. We have a lot of things floating in the air, as usual is with this Thursday night class. And with your permission, we're going to try to connect it all together and make sense of this entire mini-episode that's taking place. There's a well-known question in the world of Derash, brought down by the Bnei Sahar, one of the great um, Chachamim of the last few centuries. In the name of the Chida, he writes it. According to the Midrash, Yaakov and Esav, the two brothers, the twins, children of Yitzchak and Rivka, that of course didn't like each other, Yaakov and Esav divided the worlds between them. Esav took his portion of Olam Hazeh, here, this world, materialism, physicality, and Yaakov took his portion of Olam Haba, the next world, the world of spirituality, of Ruhniyut. That being the case, an obvious question arises. If this world belongs to Esav, how are we, Jews, 
Bnei Yaakov, Bnei Yisrael, allowed to benefit from the pleasures and the goods of this world beyond our basic means of necessities. Vada'i, we have to survive and we need to live. So we need a house and we need food. But to enjoy other pleasures belongs to Esav. Those are benefits that belong strictly to Esav. So how are Bnei Yaakov, like us, allowed to benefit from them? So the answer that is brought down by the Hida stems from the Pasuk that is quoted or that is mentioned in Parashat Bereshit. And it's actually a Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah that asks the question. The Gemara asks, why does the Torah write Vahi Erev Vahi Boker Yom Hashishi? And all the other days, it's Vayere Vahi Boker Yom Sheni, Shelishi Revi'i, without the prefix of the hey. Why Hashishi when it comes to the sixth day? Famous question. And the Gemara says that it's reference to the sixth day, the sixth of Siman, which is the day that the Torah was given. HaKadosh Baruch Hu stipulated with the works of creation, and he said to them, if the Jewish people accept my Torah, then everything is great. But if they do not accept my Torah, then I'm going to return the world to tov avo, to chaos and void. So according to this explanation of the Gemara, the world cannot continue to exist without Torah. In fact, the Torah writes in Parashat Zot Berakha right at the end, Hashem came from Sinai and He shone forth them to Sa'id and He peered to Harparan. Sa'id and Paran. Who is Sa'id and Paran? Rashi says that God proposed to the children of Aesav that they accept the Torah and they didn't want to because it said do not murder. And then He went to the children of Ishmael and they didn't want to because it said you cannot commit immorality. From the perspective of the other nations who refused to accept the Torah, the world should have returned to chaos. The world should have returned to tov avohu, complete void. They owe the continued existence of earth to the Jewish people. Because when the Jewish people accepted the Torah, they saved the world from annihilation. In fact, there's a remiss to this in a very famous law brought down in the Gemara. Masechet Baba Metziah, the second chapter of Elu Metziot, that if someone saves an object from the bottom of the sea, Zuto Shalyam, someone finds an object from the bottom of the sea, or a raging river came and swept him and lands in his property, the law is Hare Elu Shelo. He's allowed to keep that object because there's no way that the owner of the object will actually find it. He gave up hope, so therefore a person can keep it. The Rem is the rabbis explain. By accepting the Torah, the Jewish people also acquired a portion of Olam for themselves. They acquired a portion of this world for us because it's tantamount to saving the entire world from certain loss, like the bottom of the sea. The world was going to oblivion. It was going to be annihilated. It was at the bottom of the sea. There was nothing left because everybody else refused to keep the Torah. Yom HaShishi. Therefore, Israel are entitled to enjoy all the benefits of Olam Hazeh. That's why, by the way, there's a whole discussion in the Gemara with regards to the holiday of Shavuot. The holiday of Shavuot, the holiday that we celebrate Matan Torah. Should that holiday be completely devoted to God, meaning that there is no um, drinking and eating, it should just strictly be the study of Torah, 
Or should there be a physical element to it as well, like we do with all the other Yom Tovs? And there the Gemara concludes, according to everybody, there, it's also Lachem. You also need to have the element of you, of the human being, of the physicality. And Rashi comments over there that the criterion of Lachem, that a person rejoice with food and drink, demonstrating that the Jewish people, that Am Yisrael, are satisfied and content with this day on which the Torah is given. Because seeing that the Jewish people accepted the Torah in Har Sinai and thereby saved the world from extermination and annihilation, they acquired Olam Azeh. They acquired a part of this world and the physicality that comes with it. They acquired Esav's portion based on the law of the bottom of the sea, Zuto Yam. It was all but lost. Therefore, everybody concurs. Everybody agrees that the holiday of Shavuot must be celebrated with an element of Lachem, delighting in the pleasures of this world with food and drink and sheer and merriness in the zikhut of accepting the Torah. So now we can probably comprehend why HaKadosh Baruch Hu used the specific ambiguous term of Ve'ish Alu, which could be understood like we started the class in two different ways. With regards to the Egyptians, God meant for the Jews to request the expensive vessels as gifts. Why? To compensate for the slavery, to compensate for the servitude. 210 years we suffered, you're going to give us something back. In the eyes of the Egyptians, it was a gift, no question. But with regards to the Jews, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted them to recognize where beyond a shadow of a doubt that all of the Egyptian property currently in their possession had a status of a loan. It had a status of borrowed items. The status of that property hinged on Bnei Israel accepting the Torah in the third month after Yetziat Mitzrayim on Vav Sivan. If they accepted the Torah, thereby saving the world from the bottom of the sea, saving the world from annihilation, it would remain in their possession as legitimate gifts. If, however, they did not accept the Torah, if they did not save the world from annihilation, they would be prohibited from utilizing the items, they would be prohibited from benefiting from the Egyptian property, they would have to return it because it would remain part of whom? Esav's property. This is Esav's heritage. You have no right to touch it because you chose not to accept the Torah. And this is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's directive to Moshe Rabbeinu beautifully. Daber na am. Please speak in the ears of the people as if he was in, being instructed to whisper a secret in their ears. In truth, with regards to the Egyptians, they were asking and requesting them to gift the items to them. But to the Jews, in the eyes of Bnei Israel, they were being given a secret message. The items that you're receiving in the meantime were only loans, not true gifts. Until they accepted the Torah, until they saved the world from Zutosh Yam, the bottom of the sea. Now we can appreciate why HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically referred to the Egyptians as fellows. Like we said from Rabbeinu Bechayeh, Prior to Matan Torah, all human beings were friends. They were all like one. So like we, like we learned, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to emphasize why he employed this ambiguous term of Vayishalu, which could either imply a loan or a gift. At that point in time, the Egyptian people was still categorized as a fellow of the Jew. 
because they had because the Jew hadn't accepted the Torah yet. So they're fellows, and hence all the Egyptian property in their possession was still considered to be borrowed. However, the moment they would accept the Torah, those borrowed items would become theirs permanently. Absolute gifts. Hence the term Veishalu. Hence the phrase Daber na am. I'm going to whisper something in your ear because only you, Bnei Israel, should know what's at stake over here. Following this line of reasoning, we can now begin to explain why God juxtaposed the directive of Veishalu Ehu that each man requests from his fellow gold and silver vessels to the matter of Makat Pechorot. Earlier, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends Moshe to confront Paro, he's instructed to say, Ko Amar Hashem, God said, Beni Bechori Israel, my firstborn son Israel, and he's commanding you to send out my nation, Paro. If not, I'm going to kill your firstborn son. Rashi says, what is the meaning of God declaring that Bnei Israel were his firstborn? Rashi says a very cryptic comment that we're going to expand on. Rashi says, here God endorsed the sale of the birthright that Yaakov acquired from Isav. He endorsed it. He stamped his approval. In short, Makat Pechorot proves conclusively that God agreed to the sale of the birthright to Yaakov. Now, it's apparent that Yaakov Avinu was privileged to receive the brachot from his father Yitzchak due to the kedusha, the holiness of the birthright that he acquired from Esav. In fact, when Yitzchak gives Yaakov the blessing and Esav gets upset, what does Esav say? Vayakeveni ze pa'amayim. He outwitted me twice. My firstborn rights he took. And now he took my blessing as well. Rashi also there in the quotes of Midrash that Yitzchak was trembling. Why was Yitzchak trembling? Why was he so afraid? So Yitzchak said to himself, maybe I committed a sin. Maybe I did something wrong by giving the blessing to, to the younger son instead of the older son. And maybe Isav was the one who deserved it. So then Isav screams out, He did this twice. Yitzchak looks at Isav, he says, He did what twice? He goes, yeah, he, he messed me over twice. He goes, I don't understand. What was the first time? What was there besides this? So he told him, he took my birthright. And when Yitzchak heard this, he says, This is why I was distressed. This is why I was trembling because I was afraid I was, I, I was over, I transgressed the law. But now I realize that the blessing I gave to Yaakov, he was the legitimate firstborn. He should also be blessed. So we can say that Yitzchak also had no problem with this, of course. The selling, the connection between the selling of the firstborn to the receiving of the Berachot based on the Pasuk, Vayomer Yaakov, Michra Kayomet Bechoratechali. When Yaakov approaches Esav and he says, Esav, I want to buy your firstborn. I want to buy the rights to it. Sell it to me. And Rashi says, since the sacrificial service, the Avodah that is supposed that was supposed to be served by the 
the Bechor, the firstborns. Yaakov said, you're not worthy, Esav. You can't have this. The evil one is not worthy that he should bring offerings to God. That's why, by the way, that the Gemara says that a Kohen who has killed a person, even accidentally, cannot do Birkat Kohanim. He can't deliver the priestly blessings. Most certainly, he's disqualified from performing the Avodah and the Bet HaMikdash. So Esav was not qualified to perform any Avodah. Why? Because he was a murderer. How do I know he was a murderer? The Torah says very clearly, On the day of the blessing, Esav came back from the field. He was exhausted. What was he exhausted of? He was exhausted from, from going out killing people. And therefore Yaakov concluded, this evil one is not worthy to, to bring the offerings to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He's disqualified. And because of that inherent disqualification, Yaakov requested, you got to sell me the birthright. You need to sell me the firstborn right. It's mine. In fact, there's a beautiful chidush by Rabbi Honatan Aibshutz. He says that when Esav states, Vayomer Esav, lamut. After Yaakov requested the firstborn, Esav says, you know what, I, I feel like I'm going to die. Lamut. Why do I need this firstborn anyways? And then he sold it to him. Rabbi Yonatan Aibshut says that the statement of behold, I'm going to die really meant that Esav was going to go kill people. Esav wasn't really going to die. He knew he wasn't going to die. He was young. He was fit. He was in his prime. What's his statement? He really meant that he wanted to kill people. Now, you're not going to publicly declare that you're going to kill people. That just doesn't make sense. Rather than stating outright that you're going to murder others, he preferred to say that he was going to die. So, and because... I know that, so why do I need the firstborn? I know that I'm not fit for it. He was well aware that he's not qualified to perform the Avodah. So the wicked Isav sold Yaakov Avinu the sacred birthright for some soup, some lentil soup and bread, because he was not capable of foregoing his craving to murder others. And his offspring and descendants in future generations inherited this character trait from him to crave murder. It was specifically for that reason that they refused to accept the Torah. Because it says, Lo you shall not murder. It's one of the basic commandments. Like their great-great-great-grandfather Isav, they were incapable of forgiving the craving of murder. And that's what it says. It says, well, us? You want us to stop murdering? How can we stop murdering? The, the, the entire blessing that Yitzchak gave to Esav was that you're going to live by the sword. This is who we are. It's in our blood. No pun intended. Literally, it's in their blood. They're murderers. They're, they're evil people. So yeah, we can't accept this Torah if it says do not murder. So now everything makes sense over here. We can make sense what we learn. When Yitzchak was informed by Esav that he had sold the birthright to Yaakov, Yitzchak was relieved. And now, and then he said, now I realize that I really did bless the right kid. I really blessed the legitimate firstborn. He shall also be blessed. He realized that Isav had relinquished the, his firstborn right to perform the Avodah because he was incapable of foregoing the inclination to kill. So Yitzchak Avinu perceived through Ruach HaKodesh that Isav's descendants would refuse to accept the Torah because it says do not murder, because they also don't want to forego the desire to kill. So from the perspective of Esav and his children, the entire world would be in danger of returning to the state of Tov the state of chaos and void. 
the state of Zutosh al-Yam, the bottom of the sea, the continued existence of the world was totally dependent upon the descendants of Yaakov, Yisrael, Bnei Yisrael, accepting the Torah, saving the world from the bottom of the sea. And by doing so, they're going to be deserving of all the beautiful things in this world. And that's why Yitzchak declared, they shall also be, uh, he shall also be blessed. In other words, Yaakov and his descendants deserve all the brachot of this world as well. And this explains beautifully Yitzchak's remark to Esav. Your brother came with cleverness and took your blessing. And the Midrash writes, Rabbi Yochanan Amar, that he came with the wisdom of his Torah. Meaning what? This implies that Yaakov pointed out to Yitzchak the wisdom of his descendants' Torah. Meaning that they were destined to accept the Torah on Har Sinai, on Vav Sivan, and save the world from annihilation. And in that merit, he took your blessing. And that will entitle them to also enjoy things here in this world. And this enlightens us to why God juxtaposed the warning related to Makat Bechorot to the directive of having every man borrow from his fellow, every woman request from her fellow silver vessels and gold vessels. Rabotai, the Egyptians were punished with Makat Bechorot for refusing to release Yisrael, God's firstborn. Beni Bechori Israel. By acknowledging the Jews as God's Bechor, it was evident that God endorsed the sale of the birthright to Yaakov on the grounds that Isaac was incapable of abstaining from murder. And for this very same reason, Isaac's descendants did not want to accept the Torah, in which it wrote, Lotir Tzach, don't kill. So by associating Makat Bechorot, with the directive to request silver vessels and gold vessels from the fellow Egyptians, Bnei Israel would comprehend clearly why God employed that ambiguous term, Veishalu. Until they accepted the Torah, all of those vessels would remain in their possession as borrowed items. If, however, they accepted the Torah, thereby saving the entire world from Zutosh Yam. They would receive all the wealth of Mitzrayim, not as borrowed items, but as a gift. Matanot, not as a loan. And this was God's directive to Moshe. Daber na am. Speak into the ears of the people. Let each man request of his fellow. That directive is emet. And this Torah's emet. Everything that God says is true and valid and endures forever. We merit the berachot of olam hazeh, of this world, only on condition that we accept the Torah. This is a vital lesson for all of Am Yisrael in every generation. There's not one of us that doesn't wish to enjoy the beauty and splendor that this world has to offer. I don't know, I haven't heard of anybody, maybe the great, 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 Kabbalist Sadiqim that don't want anything to do with whatsoever. Maybe them. But most people, they want to enjoy what this world has to offer. If we wish to attain the abundant beracha related to matters of Olam Hazeh, it's so imperative 
that we accept upon ourselves the yoke of Torah, because it's through that yoke of the Torah, through our commitment to Torah and mitzvot, and gemilut hasadim, and matanat tzedakah, and all the great things that our Torah consists of. It's through that, through that merit, that the world endures, that the world exists. And then the words of the Pasuk actually become a reality. Length of days is at its right, its left, wealth and honor. They go hand in hand. The Torah and the wisdom on the right, on the left, they go hand in hand. They're connected with the body in between. With our physical is right here. This is what we have. We have our neshama, we have our hearts, we have our actions. And they go mamash hand in hand. That's one thing we have to understand. It's an amazing, amazing chidush. No, Bnei Israel did not, did not steal any items. You know why? Because they went on Vav Sivan and they accepted the Torah. They accepted the Torah that Bnei Isav didn't want, thereby confirming that they are God's firstborn people. And hence, the entire conversation, very cryptic, very secretive, was actually purely, purely truth. Wishing everybody a wonderful night. Shabbat Shalom and Barach.